This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Okay, I'm Chris Avina. I'm uh, the host of American Outdoor News Podcast, and today we're here with Bruce Hutchin, the host of Hutch, Hutch on Hunting. Bruce, thanks for taking the time. Hey, I'm always excited to be with you, and ever since we've met and uh, chit-chatted, uh, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, support what you're doing and love being on uh, American Outdoor News Podcast. Now, Bruce, you have a long-standing uh, podcast, Whitetail Rendezvous. You've interviewed hundreds of people. Um, and now you're starting a new podcast. How'd the new podcast come about? The new podcast came about because uh, I, I got to go back. I got to take a step back. Um, I had a partner in Whitetail Rendezvous that started in March uh, 2015, I think it was. And uh, and we ran it together, and um, just like any partnership, you, you have a give and take. That's just normal. But it got to a point that um, we weren't monetizing it, and I think there grew some fr uh, frustration on my partner uh, as well as myself because we had put over five years into, into the podcast. And so uh, October, let's see, yeah, nineteen. Uh, 2019, we just agreed to agree that uh, it was over. And so, um, yeah, it was a wonderful podcast, over half a million downloads, uh, over uh, 600 uh, guests. And uh, I learned a lot about whitetail hunting. I thought I knew something, but, you know, uh, I had uh, some some wonderful, wonderful guests. Uh, 
one of my favorites is Dan Infeld from Wisconsin. Uh, he and there's other people I can't mention them all. But we'd be here the whole time. But anyway, so I stepped away from that, and then last January, uh, 2020, uh, a friend of mine said, "Hey, I want you. I want to sponsor you. I want you to do a podcast for my uh, company, uh, Grand Parade Outdoors." And uh, I said, "Here's what it's going to cost." And he said, "Fine." And so I did that for a year. Well, about six, seven months. And I said, uh, John O'Brien uh, is the owner of Grand Parade Outdoors. Uh, the one of the final seed companies, but even more than that, John was an educator about uh, food plots, about seed. And, uh, you know, I said, John, I'm leaving uh, September 1st, actually September 9th, I started elk hunting, then I'm gone till December. That's how much I hunt. And he said, I said, I'm shutting her down. I said, I will get shows up to October, then, then we're done. And here's my final invoice. And so that went away. And then, so, I didn't do anything last fall as far as podcasting and, and it was fun and it was enjoyable, but then I had people say, you know, Bruce, with your, with your knowledge, with your resources, with your connections in the industry, uh, you really need to do something a little bit different, not just interviewing whitetail hunters, but becoming a resource for people who want to get into hunting. Uh, the uh, DNR throughout the country, uh, fishing game, they call it, uh, the three R's and the three R's are recruitment, retention and reactivation. And I have a friend, Meadow Caulfield, who is actually on the board for Minnesota uh, for the three R's. And so when you think about that recruitment, bringing people into our industry. Now I just read something the other day that Colorado had one of their largest increases in revenue last year last year, last hunting season. And the reason they did that was because people, one, had the time. Two, uh, they wanted organic food. They didn't want to go to the grocery store and pay what they were doing, uh, paying what they had to pay for, for rat beef. And so they said, okay, I can go hunting. I can get a year's supply of meat and I can have some fun. And Colorado's one of the best states in the United States to come because we have a huge number of DIY, over-the-counter OTC tags for elk, for bear. We, we have too many bear, so you can get a bear tag very easy. We have a lot of whitetails. The hard thing about whitetails is getting access to where they are. Um, on the eastern plains, they don't want the elk. So it's very easy to get a tag. So all in all, it's very easy to get an elk tag in Colorado, come out here, enjoy Colorado, and secure some food. Hmm. So tell us about uh, Hutch on Hunting, your new podcast. What's that going to accomplish? Is it going to be along the lines of Whitetail Rendezvous, or are you expanding your talking points? Are you venturing into different topics, different areas? Yeah, the different areas, and I, I just I just hit on a little bit was the three R's: retention, recruitment, and reactivation. And recruitment, I want to help people. I want to be a resource for somebody that has never hunted before. Yes, I've <laughs> killed ducks. Yes, I've killed geese. Uh, yes, I've killed pheasants. Yes, I've killed rough grouse. Let's see. Um, I've never shot 
let's see, Ptarmigan. I've seen them, but I've never shot them. So I covered the upland game birds. I've shot a heck of a lot of rabbits when I lived in Foster Center, Rhode Island, squirrels. So I've hunted a lot. I've done some trapping. Am I an effective trapper? If I had to survive trapping, I could do it with snares. Okay. So so you go back and, and look at my heritage. I grew up in a tiny town called Foster Center, Rhode Island. Uh, and thousand people, well, I don't know what it was, but I learned from the from the old guys because they knew right away that I loved the outdoors. I trapped my first fox when I was eight years old. Wow. Trapped a lot of rabbits and um I never got into mink, but I did set make sets for fox because you could sell the pelts. And you know, so I, I've done enough, I've traveled enough, I've met enough people that listeners, if you want to figure out how this whole thing works, email me at Hutch on Hunting, Hutch on Hunting at gmail.com. And I'd love to talk to you. Hutch on Hunting is going to evolve into a resource where once I get critical mass, whatever that number is, I'm going to have a membership that for hundred bucks a year, let's call it that right now, hundred bucks a year, you'll have access to me and my resources. What does that mean? Does that mean a phone call during office hours? Yes. Does that mean a list uh, from my gear shop? Because I have hundreds of people on social media now. I've been just watching social media. You know, how do I do this? How do I do this? What area do I go to in Wyoming? What area do I do go to in Colorado? What area do I go to uh, in Montana? I've lived in Montana. I've hunted Wyoming. And I live in Colorado. One thing you might not know, Chris, I wrote over 200 big game profiles for Go Hunt when they were first getting started. Hmm. So another credential that people said, when you go to Insider at Go Hunt, the original profiles for Colorado for elk and deer and moose and sheep and goats, did I leave anything out? I never did any bear ones because I'd never bear hunted much. But anyway, they were, they were all there. I, I created them. So that gives me extreme credibility to be able to say, okay, here's what you're doing. And here's how you do it. Here's where you should go. And yes, things change. We just had hellacious wildfires. So that's important to know. If you read anything from Randy Newberg, he loves hunting burns. Why? Because if the burn happened last fall, it'll go through the winter, there'll be moisture, and in the springtime, it'll be it'll bloom. Mm -hmm. and guess what? The critters know that there's food over there, the best yeah. food they've had in years. So there's a hint, and people will say, well, why is this important? Here's why it's important. Here's what happens to the soil. We're not talking about just you know, stick in a string and, and loading the gun and go and shoot somebody. We're going to go back and tell people why they need to understand their environment, the habitat to be a successful hunter. Well, it's important that we need more educators in the industry, especially now uh, since COVID, there's been such an influx of new gun owners, new hunters getting out in the field that can really use the education uh, or mentors to, to help them through the beginning processes 
so they become a seasoned hunter. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and that's the thing. So Hutch and Hunting is going to be a podcast where we're going to have discussions about how do I get started? What state should I choose? What type of weapon should I use? What type mm -hmm. of clothes should I have? And I'm going to back that up with a gear shop. I'm going to establish affiliates with the top name brands that I personally use. So if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want you to promote mine, I'll say, today, I'll say no. Tomorrow, I might change my mind. But if somebody says, I want you to use XYZ boots, I'll say, okay, send me a pair of boots. I'll run with them next fall, and we'll see next winter. Because as you know, in this industry, people do a lot of things for the buck. That's just the way it is. It is a business. You know, yes. We're passionate about the outdoors. We're passionate about hunting. We want to get out there. We want to bring somebody new into the industry. But fact is, it's a business. You know, we have our podcast. I have my magazine. Um, it's a business. So, yes, it's about generating revenue as well. And uh, I know we were just talking about that with um, hunting in Colorado. Uh, you, you mentioned their, their revenue. Can you uh, expand a, a little bit about that? Yeah, what's, what's happened is because we are, we have tremendous elk herd, we have tremendous public land, and we have the ability to somebody go to Walmart, buy a tag, and go hunting. No draws. And as you know, you've been around for a long time. You know, we have draw creep, we have, you know, Letterman access, we have more people than, you know, tags, all these type of things. I've been putting in for sheep tags for over 20 years and I've drew one. Multiple states, I've drew one. And people said, how can that be? I said, I got bad luck. <laughs> no, it's just the way it is. Uh, actually, I had that same discussion with Craig Boddington where, you know, he was, you know, a seasoned hunter. He's been around forever. He just got his first uh, uh, ram tag this past season. So he went on a ram hunt. Yeah, and uh, that's the way it is, folks. So you have to have a strategy to do that. And there's companies that are out there that will help you do that if you want to spend the money. Or you can set up a computer program, which it'll, it takes a little time, but you set up a computer program and say, okay, Arizona. Like New Mexico, I just got an email from that saying, hey, it's time to think about strategies, all this. So you go to New Mexico and you go to their page and say, okay, what do I want to hunt this year? Thing about nice thing about New Mexico, you don't, they don't ding your your uh, checking account until you get the tag. Yeah. Well, that's nice. That's, that's nice. Good. And so, you know, just just that little thing. How do I do this? Well, that's what Hutch and Hunting going to do. That's great. Now, we're going to take uh, a quick break here for our sponsors, Underwood Ammo, um, Standard of Excellence. Uh, check out uh, underwoodammo.com. Uh, they cover everything from tactical to hunting. Uh, go to their website and check them out. And we got a commercial break here with uh, Hunt of a Lifetime. So um, take a look at this. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. 
we prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. And we're back. <laughs> well, Chris, I, I need to put a shameless plug in for our Burner HD. If you haven't heard of Burner, Burner is the finest non-lethal weapon in the world. But it does, think of it as a 68 caliber paintball device that shoots a pepper spray and tear gas projectile. When it hits you, your eyes burn, snot comes out of your nose, and you may or may not puke. So it's a, a deterrent. It's a non-lethal deterrent. If you're interested in, in Burner HD, reach out to me at hutchonhunting at gmail.com. Or you can see your ad in the latest issue of American Outdoor News, and you can reach you through there. Great. Thanks, Chris. No problem. Now, uh, you went on a wolf hunt in British Columbia. Yes, I did. And how'd that turn out? Well, it, actually, it was a it was a great hunt. And you mentioned Craig Boddington. Great Craig Boddington actually had hunted with Mike Hawkridge at uh, Big Country Outfitters, and I haven't really talked to Mike since my hunt. So it's been a number of years. I don't know if it's the same, uh, same outfit, but I know he's still on social media, Mike Hawkridge. He's from around uh, Williams Lake, uh, British Columbia. And so uh, Craig Bonington was a reference and I've had Craig on my show at Whitetail Rendezvous. And so I knew of him and uh, had him as a guest. So, you know, I said, well, it was good enough for Craig, you know, pretty good and he did get a nice mountain goat he didn't get a wolf and that's the interesting thing so anyway so i booked a mountain goat hunt and and mike said it was, it was going to be a five-day hunt i was in the dot-com industry in in california at that time and i had five days so i said you can't hunt on sunday so i said i will fly in sunday on saturday We'll get geared up on Sunday. We'll hunt Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Come out Saturday. I'll fly home Sunday. He said, fine. So that's exactly what we did. And we went up into the mountains. And uh, and this is something that uh, will come out with Hutch and Hunting. If somebody's going to go to a place they've never been, you sit up and I'll do a Google map session and it'll actually fly in google earth you can fly and so i flew the area that i was hunting so i'm sitting in his office i remember sitting in his office and i said he said i said you know 
what basin we're going to hunt. We we got three basins here, and yada yada. The Fraser River is here. Blah blah blah. We're in the Chicotlin Mountains, Chicotlin Mountains. Pardon me, and uh, south of Williams Lake. And he said, "What?" And I started telling him about the drainages and the basins. He says, "How do you know all this stuff?" I said, "Click click click click, bam!" And I flew. I flew. I did exactly what I had done prepping for the hunt. And why did I do that, folks? And this is really important. I don't care where you are in the north. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In the provinces of Canada or in Alaska, and you're hiring a guide, my question to you is, what if the guide dies? How are you going to get your butt out of there people don't think about that no it's being prepared accidents happen and so i want to know the drainages that if you follow the drainage downhill you're going downhill folks you sooner or later will come to a road a bridge a cabin you will come to something and there are a few <laughs> rivers or anything depends on where you are there are a few rivers that run north especially up into uh the arctic ocean um and uh, so you got to be careful that if you're up there but any other place you're going to be fine and so i went on this goat hunt three days boom i had my billy and it's on the wall uh just missed boone and crockett just a gorgeous gorgeous uh goat 400 some odd yards you know, we got it off the mountain. And if you want to read about that, that's a go hunt, Bruce Hutchin. And there's, um, there's a story about my mountain goat and a story about my wolf. So we did it in three days. So now it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday we were out. Thursday, uh, Mike's taking care of my hide and uh, getting ready for half mount. And he says, what do you want to do tomorrow? I said, eh, I don't know. It, how about a wolf? He said, yeah, depending on the weather, we'll, we'll go see a wolf. And um, so that's what we did. Next morning, we get up and a little drizzle. And um, we took the truck to the end of the trail. And there's logging roads and mining roads. It's not as isolated as you think, folks. I mean, there's roads everywhere, just like parts of Alaska. There's a lot of roads in Alaska. You just don't hear about them. Anyway. So we get the end of the road, get out of the truck and load up. And and um, here's another. If you're going after a wolf and your guy doesn't have a gun, tell him to go get a gun. Remember that. That's, <laughs> that's important. So anyway, he doesn't have a gun. We walk down the trail and we come to this puddle and, and he goes, see those tracks? He said, yeah, wolves will not walk through a puddle they walk around it hmm. so we saw the wolf tracks and go oh okay so there's wolves in the area we already knew that so we come around this bluff and 
And we walked maybe a mile to another lake and said, we're going to launch the boat. He had a boat stashed with a motor. And he said, we're going to go to that isthmus, a connection between two, two, two uh, lakes. And into it is a, a floodplain, a, a drainage, a spruce, thick spruce forest in a floodplain where this river comes out of the mountains and, and has just dispersed. And so it's a big spruce swamp. And so he says, okay, here's, here's the deal. Before we climb down to the lake, we're going to, I'm just going to call. And if he come back at me, game on. If they don't, we'll walk back to the truck, go fishing or whatever. I said, okay. And so he said, just sit here, just be quiet. And he starts voice coiling. And I can't do any close, but, you know, it's just a howl. Just, ooh. And he has tone intonations and everything. And so he, he sounded like a wolf. Then he shuts up. There's a couple of series, one or two, that just shuts up. He just, just sit here. He does it again. It's kind of like rattling or something. You know, you got to hit a sequence. Anyway, so he did his sequence. He sit there. And we're talking like a half an hour. We're just sitting there. Then all of a sudden, bam, comes right back. And he said, game on. He just lights up, and hustled down, launched the boat, went to the isthmus, and um, uh, set up on a sweeper. Now, if you don't know what sweepers are, folks, it's a big uh, spruce or hemlock or pine that's fallen into this isthmus between the two lakes where there's current and it just it's fallen the root ball you know is still on the shore so i had a perfect rest so i got behind a root ball set my uh, bipods up on my rifle and he said okay here's where he's going to come out and he had it dialed in about 152 yards not a bet an easy shot Trouble is you can't see the suckers. So all of a sudden he says, here comes one. I'm, I'm looking at this grass and the hummocks, if you know what a hummock is. So the hummocks grow out of the mud because remember, this is a floodplain. And so he was just weaving between the hummocks. And, he, and then he, he howled again. He hit him again. And the sucker popped up. He said, take him. That was it. I mean, I, you know, I saw him. And I drilled him. He was looking straight at me. So I just put the sights right below his chin, pulled the trigger, and a 165 nozzle partition, 30 yard six um, grain bullet just went from stem to stern. And uh, he was dead. He actually lay down and feet were flaying. And, and you know, he was over 125 pounds. So anyway. Yeah, it was, it was the alpha. He told me it was the alpha. So anyway, so... We let everything set down. He says, okay, reload your gun. I only fired once and um, more wolves are going to come out. I said, okay. And he said, um, I've got the tags right here. We're good. So I said, okay. So he lights off again and another wolf comes in. And another wolf comes in and says, okay, we're done. I said, okay. Reload your gun. And so I've shot, let's see, once, twice, three times. So I reload. Two, two in the chamber, then I've got five 
because I only brought 10 shots. It's because the odds of seeing a wolf pretty, pretty low. So anyway, I, uh, we got in the boat, went across and, uh, it was probably from, from the shoreline to where he finally died. Cause he actually crawled. He was trying to get back into, into the wolves and the thing he actually crawled. So he wasn't exactly where I shot him. So, so we get to him and we're doing the hero shots and the pictures and stuff. And I said, Hey, Mike, you get in here and I'll take a picture of you. And he's there. And no sooner than he gets set up holding a wolf and everything that he just jumps up and goes, mother, boom, wolves. I mean, they weren't 20 feet away from him. Wow. The whole pack. <laughs> and he just, she said, take your gun off safety. He said, make sure you're chambered one. He grabbed me in the back of my neck and just pulled, you know, walked me back to the boat, 50 yards maybe. And he said, get ready, here they come. And so seven wolves did a semicircle against it. So we got the river, thank God, we got the river. There's, he said, there's one on the far left, boom, this run right in front of us coming out of the willows, boom, you know, and I'm just shooting, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hit one. He says, there's one right in front of us, boom. <laughs> so then I said, Mike, I got one more shot. And I said, I said, you know, he said, no, get in the boat, get in the boat. And so we, and I don't know why we didn't, he was amped up, I guess. I don't know why we just didn't jump in the boat and go in the middle of, of the isthmus and wait, wait him out or shoot from the boat. I, I guess you can't shoot from the boat. So that's probably yeah, why you can you shoot that. from the boat, but it's a tough shot if you're rocking. Yeah. So anyway, so we just sat there for an hour. He's shaking, I'm shaking. And I said, we got to go get that wolf. He said, you stay here. I'm going to go get the wolf. I said, are you sure? He goes, no, but we got to get the wolf. I said, I'll come with you. So we go, and he gets the roof, puts it on his shoulders, and and comes back out. And then we go, and and he, we beach the boat, and blah, blah, blah. He, he, he uh, takes the pelt off, and, and then we go back to the cabin. So, folks, if you want to read it, go to Go Hunt Bruce and type in Bruce Hutchin, wolves or mountain goats. Just type in Bruce Hutchin, it'll come up. And uh, you can read the whole story. And uh, yeah, but it, it's, it's a scary thing. And I'll segue now into Colorado and information and, and what's happening in November, November 4th. Uh, it was voted 50.9% to. 49.1% to reintroduce wolves. And um, they're already here. I have ranches up uh, near Irish Canyon and she's seen wolves and the wolves are here. And so there's no reintroduction of a species that's already here, but yet we're going to have it. And so that's, that, that's the power of people in today's, um, I guess, climate that uh money speaks and uh we were i think we raised a coalition of uh, fight the wolves raised maybe two to three million dollars they had people dropping that amount of money for marketing and stuff but so what i would tell people 
2023 is when they're supposed to start dropping wolves, 2023-24, putting wolves in the wilderness areas. So if you're going to hunt Colorado, you better hunt now. Don't wait because we've already seen what's happened in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho with the wolves. I've already been to Alaska where I couldn't hunt caribou. Of, of them reintroducing uh, the wolves into the area. How does that affect the um, existing herds, deer, elk, antelope? Uh, well, it decimates them. Indigenous to the area. Yeah, it decimates them. I, I used to hunt up in uh, Alaska, and one um, we had this one drainage, and we always could go in there and um, you know hunt caribou, and they just appeared with the wolves, um, and I love actually. This might sound, you know strange but i love wolves in the wild because if you're in a campfire someplace in alaska someplace in british columbia and hear a wolf pack light up it's like i'm in the wilderness i have no problem with wolves the problem i have with wolves is we can't manage them if we could manage them and folks they won't stay they've proven this you can let them go in yellowstone park in some cases it's had help the ecosystem in other cases it decimated the hunting population of elk which they needed to do they needed to manage the herd and how do you do that in yellowstone park you can't hunt so they brought in a predator to help reduce the herd is that a bad thing no it really isn't but wolves don't know where the fence is yep they breed they expand and they roam as a male pup and you're the alpha male and I'm a pup and I become of age, I'm either going to kill you. The alpha is going to kill that pup or that young teenager or teenager leaves. That's how it works. There's only one, one boss in a family. That's it. One boss well, in a pack. I guess what people don't realize is when their food supply runs thin, they start going after uh, domestic herds or Domestic animals, your dog, your cat, your your pet, maybe your children. Yeah, they pioneer. And by pioneering, they go out and they'll find areas, they'll find a, uh, a breeding pack, will get together, and they'll start their own pack in a place they don't have any competition. Because wolves will take on cats and win. They'll just blow the coyotes right out of, right out of the community, yeah. right out. Chase them out or kill them. Yeah, they'll flat out kill them because they are the elf apex predator. There's only one predator greater than they are, and that's man. And so how do we get the balance? And unfortunately, there's some areas like Grand Mesa, the Corral Parks and Wildlife had spent Millions of dollars, and I tried to research this. I'm writing an article to the commissioners. But when they put wolves in there, they're going to take the herd way back. They do allow hunting in Colorado for moons, but they're going to decimate the herd because wolves 
don't sink into the snow. Wolves are a pack. Just think lions in Africa. Sure. The the male roars. He doesn't do the killing, but his pack, his his pride does the killing. And they're very good at it. So these are smart animals. And so uh, something that's sick, okay, they're going to die anyway. So, okay, if that's your argument, okay, fine. They're going to die anyway. Wolves could eat them. But then calves, as they're being birthed, are being eaten. Yeah. Sounds gross. But as the newborn calf is coming out, then the wolves just go in and eat it. I mean, it, that's not a young, they target the old and weak. Yeah. And that's the way it is. And so, you know, there's a balance there, which say, okay, as a conservationist, you could say, well, maybe that's not a bad thing because we need to manage the herds. But unfortunately we can't manage the wolves. So if you can have that, that balance, that could be a good thing. But we're not, as hunters, as conservationists, we're not allowed to do that. And that's the issue. Yep. So wolves will take over Grand Mesa. So the millions of dollars spent to reintroduce moose will be gone. Then they'll go after elk and sheep. Oh, that's a domestic animal. Wolves don't do anything to the best of animals. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. So you got elk and deer and moose in the Grand Mesa area, and then those come off the mesa and drop down into where all those things go for the wintertime. Where do you think elk and deer go in the wintertime? They go to the lower lands where the domestic critters are. So it, it, it's not a win-win. Yeah. It's, it, and it, and it, it's a shame Colorado's done what they've done. As a new hunter, let's get back to Hutch and Honey. As a new hunter, you have to understand the dynamics that are going to impact your hunting. You have to be more adaptive. You have to be more flexible because the same cabin in northern Wisconsin that I hunted 1977 and saw. 10 bucks, not deer, 10 bucks a day from the Ace of High tree stand, Ace of Heart tree stand. Today, in a nine-day season, I might be lucky to see 10 bucks. Why? Because the wolves, they're not managed, and they've decimated the herd. Why? Yeah. Because they eat deer. They eat, they're not vegans. They're meat eaters. Sorry, sorry, but they eat meat. Uh, they can't eat tofu. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Uh, on that note, uh, Bruce, I appreciate your time. We're running out of time here, but uh, we're definitely going to have to have you on again. There's so much more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even got started. <laughs> But I, I just want to uh, give a shout out to uh, the people at POMA, Professional Outdoor Media Association. Uh, I have some good friends over there, Kevin Paulson, Michelle uh, Schumann, and, um, you know, good people. And if you're out there in the outdoor industry, you should be a member of POMA. 
Professional Outdoor Media Association. So with that, uh, Chris, at, as always, it's a great pleasure to be with you, to chat with you, and I can't wait till we uh, can, uh, I can have one of your fancy meals together. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit of a tease, the stuff that I cook and, uh, and post, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. All right. So uh, until next time, if uh, you're passionate about uh, the outdoors, whether you're hiking the Appalachian or uh, hunting the plains of Africa or fishing the Sea of Cortez, American Outdoors will always have it covered. Thanks again. <laughs>